All right, welcome to the uh, Discerning Catholic Podcast. Uh, I'm Father Nick Adam. Uh, joining me today is uh, Chris Kiefer. And uh, Chris, we're back after a couple of weeks uh, away, or uh, certainly I am uh, on a Wednesday. Um, I, yeah, good morning. Uh, yeah, good morning. How are you doing, man? Good, good. I- I'm doing well. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, I know, I know we've both been busy, but I'm glad, glad to be back and, and doing this again. Yeah, man. Um, so uh, I was on retreat last week and then of course we had uh, the holy week festivities all those things that are happening in the life of the church and so that kind of uh derailed uh you know most of my podcast recording um but that was uh, for good reason and it was really a, a wonderful um time of like rejuvenation yeah. we were talking before we started recording uh so i went on so priests are required every year to take one retreat uh which is a time for prayer and renewal and uh, silence, but also uh, for us, certainly uh, community as well. And that's really what I felt uh, this this week, um, being back with uh, with my brother priest, just like it was a moment to like kind of recap this incredible year we've all had and uh, and have really good, fruitful um, conversation. But uh, but it's just funny how like I was telling you, like before retreat, you know, I'm just, I, I get what I call like, uh, like pre-retreat anxiety where it's like, I don't want to yeah, go, sure, you know, I'm like, oh, I've sure. got all this stuff. Could, I've got all this stuff to do. I've got all this stuff to take care of and I'm all worried about it. And then as soon as you get there, you're just like, man, that was just like, not from God, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like God, God wants me to like spend time with him in silence and prayer. And, um, and I really do think that that's so important for priests because like we're given the gift of time. And if we don't use that time to like rejuvenate ourselves, how the heck are we going to rejuvenate the people that we're serving? You know, yeah, uh, with, sure. with anything with anything that's different. You know, with anything that's uh, inspiring or, or coming from the well that that we're drawn from. So anyway, it was awesome. I don't I don't know if you ever feel like that. Like before you go off and do something yeah. that's going to help you spiritually, you're like, I don't want to do that. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And and then those are are the most powerful post retreat feelings you know that high is probably made even more uh exciting um when you think about those feelings that you had before you went into it and, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure that there you know that is something um whether it's a selfish nature or or, or the devil trying to keep you from something that is going to be really good for you spiritually or whatever i mean i'm sure there's something there's something deeper going on in those feelings that you have um particularly before a powerful spiritual experience but that's awesome and in this case i'm, I'm guessing because of covid this is probably the first retreat you've gotten to go on in a while huh or, or at least yeah yeah so last year's group. retreat last year's retreat was over zoom which was yeah. fine you know it's what we had to do um but there was certainly that lack of community and um and uh so it was just a, a really great gift because most of the priests now are are vaccinated and so we were able to yeah. kind of you know have a semi-normal week and uh it was great so uh so what's going what's been going on with you how's uh how's life with uh three young boys good good youth baseball season ha- has started i guess since the last time we podcast and that's probably been been the biggest thing and, and sometimes it's two or three games uh two or three games a week but but it's awesome and probably not not surprising to say how much I love coaching youth baseball and, and just kind of had that thought the other day I, I've I know I've already waxed too much poetic about baseball so yeah, I won't go yeah. too much into it but but it's fun I mean I, I've explained how much I, I love the game teaching it uh to younger kids there's just something rewarding and you know as I get into that and as we get a little bit more into the season now, like we had a game last night, and you know some of the kids who were who were really struggling to to hit. Um, it, it's it's five and six year olds, so it's kind of a hybrid of coach pitch and, and t ball. You get uh, you get five swings, and so you can kind of a, a combination of um, you can start with coach pitch, and then if you don't, you can finish on the t. Um, you've got mm-hmm. five attempts to put it in play. So I'll say the kids who couldn't hit any coach pitching, you you know, or struggling with that early on, we hardly needed the t last night. Like just seeing those kids progress was really awesome. And then um, some of the kids who were more experienced and able to kind of make some plays on defense, and, and they were making a lot of good plays, and and just um, 
you know, te- teaching the game, young kids and seeing them make progress, it, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's been busy, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, that's yeah. cool. And then yeah. my other son, uh, I'm, I'm his scouts leader for, for my older son. And so we did a woodworking lesson last week and that was cool and went well and just kind of, again, pushing him to, to, to do some new skills. You know, a lot of times I'll maybe will be doing something in the garage and won't stop to, uh, to, to teach him how to do it. And so, you know, it kind of forced us to do that. So, yeah. So, yeah. So it's what? Been, it's been busy, but it's been cool. So okay. So back to the coach pitch. Yeah. T-ball. So what is the like timeline of like how long does it take a kid? Because I still can't like throw up a ball and like hit it. Yeah. So how so how long did it take them? You may have already said this, but how long did they did it take them to kind of like get into it to like be able to hit the ball off the pitch off a pitch to, to be able to yeah and so you know it's a. I, I think with five and six, one is th- there's a big gap sometimes, I think, in the five and six-year-olds, uh, you know, that, that is just kind of a big developmental uh, difference. So yeah. so some of it is that, like, we had a lot of kids, you know, who haven't needed the tea all, all year and, mm-hmm. uh, and haven't needed it. But, but yeah, for, for some of the ones who are kind of newer to baseball, um, we started our practices in March, and we practiced a couple times a week in March. Um, we started games at the beginning of April and last night was our sixth game, I guess. Um, so it's just kind of been little, you know, what was it? Ted Williams, who said the hardest thing to do in sports is to hit, to hit a baseball and, you know, the whole idea of hitting a, a round ball with a round bat and hitting it squarely. And all I'd say, there's so many little things you have to do to hit a baseball, right? You know, when it's moving between footwork and where to hold your hands. And so, you know, little by little, just kind of drilling it with them. Um, and so as they are starting to make those connections, um, yeah. which last night I felt like they really were, uh, just about everybody was, was kind of hitting the pitch ball. And, and the ones who didn't were so close. And again, you're seeing somebody, you know, who was really far off at the beginning and just inches yeah. away from making contact. And, and you can imagine how exciting that is for them when they do it. And, and so it, it, it's cool. Everything is uh, everything is a, an analogy to my own life for me. Like when I hear <laughs> that, I'm like, okay, so I need to be, and when I teach the scriptures, when I do my priesthood stuff, I need to see that as like uh, in my own fatherhood. Uh, can I? Can I? Can I? Do I have that same excitement? Do I have that same like uh, joy to see somebody like getting so close, even if they can't? you know, they're not quite grasping what I'm trying to like, uh, teach them or, or, you know, a young man that's like yeah. seeking out the seminary. So it's, there's always, you know, we, we believe as Catholics that like God is speaking through creation. God is speaking through all of our experiences. And so I think that's, you know, again, that's another, uh, in your own natural fatherhood, you know, that's a cool thing for me to think about that. Like this is, um, the way, the way that we are, um, trying to possess truth and the way that we're trying to seek after God, it's, it's being shown on a baseball field and, you know, in the middle of Mississippi mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's not a direct correlation, yeah. but, but every again, this is, uh, the philosophical basis of our faith is that everything leads to God insofar as it's good, you know? And so, yeah. so it's a good thing, uh, what you're doing. And, um, we talked about uh, briefly. Absolutely. We talked about the the names of our of our teams. Uh, you know, I talked about a, a controversial name that my soccer team was called. We were uh, the Paralyzers. <laughs> Not a lot of uh, political correctness with that. Uh, y'all's team name is incredible, and I'm very impressed by it. Yeah, we're we're the Megalodons. Yes, which, yes, which I love. Which has been a lot of fun. So yeah, I was telling you this story off air. The, the way it works um, in our league is is every team gets a color. Um, and, and last year was the first year that I coached, um, and, and we just went with our color. And so it's kind of weird. We were the orange team last year, and so you just call yourself <laughs> the orange team. And so I realized, you know, you learn a lot. It's my second year doing it, and uh, and I've learned so much from having done it for first year. And, you know, one of the lessons from watching other teams and just seeing is there's so much more buy-in from kids that age when they have a team name. So, yeah, we, we came up with the idea that we were going to um, – to have the kids vote at the first practice for, for a team name. And um, because we were blue, I thought we'd do something that was blue. Now, we talked off air that you see sharks as, as gray and silver, which, which yeah, I guess yeah. technically they are. I don't know why in my mind. I feel like if you gave me a crayon 
and, and I was going to color a shark, I would color it blue, maybe because it's in the water or whatever. So that's amazing. I thought our sharks was blue, but but we came and, and and as expected, we had about fifteen, you know, thir- thirteen kids. So we had thirteen you know, different name suggestions all over yeah. the place, and. And we'd have them vote, and everybody would vote for two. You know, everyone would get two votes. And I was like, how are we going to do this? So I came prepared. I, I thought, if they don't come to consensus, I'm going to throw this one out. Because I knew from my kids, they love sharks. And particularly, the bigger the shark you can get. So the Megalodon is, like, legendary for them. So I said, hey, how about the Megalodons? And 13 hands went up, and they were so excited. So that's been, that's been fun. Uh, Deanna, my wife, was even just saying at the game last night, it's just fun to hear, like, how the parents have gotten into it and during the game, you know, you'll hear them, come on, Megalodons! And, you know, we've, all, we've all really adopted that name. Um, you know, we, we do a break it down, Megalodons, before and after every game. So um, it, it gives and them more use the full, you see, you use the full name. You don't say, like, yeah. the Megs, the, you know, it's no. just... No, we use a full name. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's, that's how they awesome. respond. You know, I'll be out there coaching them and, and I'll be, hey, Megalodons. And they'll all look up at me. And so, yeah, they, they, they get So do y'all have the best name? I mean, is there is there pretty much consensus among the parents that this is the best name? I think in it the is. League? <laughs> I think it is. I'm biased. But, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Or what, I mean, what are the other ones we need to be? Able, we, you know, we I don't. I don't know. That's a good question because they don't really. I think it's kind of just like an internal thing to kind of name, um, name your own team. So yeah, I see. So I got I, you. So the other teams may or may not have. I don't know. We still, when we play them, we still know them as the 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 orange team or the green team or, or the <laughs> yellow team. Right. But but we decided we needed our own name. All um, right. So let me just make this argument for sharks being gray. Okay. Um, <laughs> If sharks were blue, I you feel like there would just there would just be a huge yeah exactly there'd be a huge issue with like the Discovery Channel would be having huge issues. <laughs> We'd have just issues with uh, camouflage sharks. But yeah. I guess on the other side of it, maybe that's the whole point. They are that's camouflaged. right. I mean, what what more powerful way for a shark than than to be camouflaged? That that's what makes it such a uh, such a massive monster, especially the megalodon. Right. So just, you know, just email me if you see sharks as blue and I'm just wrongheaded on this because I just we, we talked about this before. We've got this whole philosophical debate that's that's under the surface here that we're going to get yeah. into in another podcast. But, uh, yeah, I think that's fascinating that you see that you see sharks as blue. Yeah. I'd be, and I would not be surprised if that is the case, because I have I have lost all credibility with the, the color <laughs> of different objects. No, I think they are actually silver gray. I think it's part of if I'm thinking about again, I always almost think about it like a like a coloring box, like on a shirt, like on a kid's shirt. Though it's it probably is usually going to be blue. Like I don't think of yeah. um of like if I'm going to color something, I guess I just don't think of a silver crayon sort of thing. And I think that's kind of why in my mind I was thinking of it as blue. But but no, te- technically it, it certainly is silver gray. <laughs> I'm telling you, it, that might not be the case. Anyway, yeah. uh, all right. But, so, but uh, so you said so you, you said one thing. I'll, I'll bring up about about you when you were comparing all the lessons, and you know, I mentioned last time that I that baseball has all these life lessons, and, and I yeah. wasn't joking. And, and and I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I really do believe, and that's why I, I I love it so much that you can teach you know all these all these greater and deeper philosophical and theological lessons through baseball. And in fact, with the five and six year olds, we're trying to do a lot of that. I mean, we talk to them. You know, even as simple as like, and it's a simple thing about baseball, but like I'll talk to the kids about, you know, one of the biggest things you've got to learn is how to fail and then come back and and do the next time. And you'll see a kid will bobble a ball and then he'll get the next one and make the out. And, you know, we'll make sure we emphasize that. I mean, that's something that applies in life and everything else. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a thought I had the other day. I mean, it's not surprising as much I love baseball, but also just, you know, you know, love working with kids and teaching them and everything that. You know, I, I wouldn't have had this opportunity if my kid didn't love it and wanted to play. But I just kind of feel like there's a part of me that's just like, I just love the opportunity to coach youth baseball. It's, it's neat. Yeah, that's awesome. We appreciate y'all uh, listening to uh, to this podcast and, and hope that it's uh, helpful for you. If y'all want to uh, get involved with the show or get in touch or you have, you have uh, ideas for, for topics, you can always email me, uh, nick.adam with no S at jacksondiocese.org, nick.adam. At jacksondiocese.org. Um, you can direct message me on Twitter at FR Nick Adam. And uh, Chris, we're going to jump into uh, soul food today. We'll do a little junk food first. Uh, so the Oscars are this weekend. 
Um, you know, the the biggest night in movies, films, mm-hmm. been kind of like all over the place this year. You know, most of us only saw movies at home this year, certainly. I, I miss yeah. going to the theaters. Um, and uh, I did, I did, I watched Tenet in the theaters because I was just like so interested in like, what this movie was because it was like this huge Christopher Nolan movie and he kept saying like you have to watch this in the theaters you have to watch this in the theaters so like September like before anyone else was going to the theaters I like (laughs) I like snuck in I was like I can't believe the movie theaters are open right now I put my mask on and I was like terrified just like sitting alone in uh, a theater in Madison and watched it and was completely befuddled had no idea what was happening the whole time through that movie but anyway that is not one of the uh, one of the uh, best picture nominees but you have seen most of the best picture nominees so yeah, i want you I to like break it down for us man yeah I've, I've seen several of them um we we that's something we got into my wife and i pretty recently i mentioned i guess maybe it was the last podcast talking about our, our friday uh movie night and it's kind of a yeah popcorn a, night yeah that's right one of one of our you know just kind of nice uh times during the week to just kind of relax Kid free. Um, I mean, almost like our, our our date night, except we're at home and don't have to get babysitters for it. And it it started when I was in Tupelo. Uh, a good you know a group of my my closest friends. We would um we'd get together and watch the Oscars every year, um and vote on. So I I never really got into the Oscars before that. It's just been the last three or four years, and we would all vote on who we thought was going to win, and then tally it up and see who was closest. And so that kind of got us into trying to watch all the best picture nominees, you know, every year and, and enjoyed it. So, so this year, yeah, we, we've been able to catch most of them. It's probably been a little bit easier this year because, you know, some years, some of the, some of them are only released in theaters and even then limited release. Like when we were in Tupelo, for instance, a lot of them would even come to the theater and right, probably wouldn't right. even be available to stream for a month or two after the Oscars. But now you can just about stream everything. Right. Um, so, yeah, the like I'm I'm pulling up the best picture nominees, which I think are seven of them, and we we've seen I have not seen the father. Um, we saw Judas and the, and the Black Messiah, which is a story about um, it, it's an FBI informant uh, who's trying to bring down the the head of the Illinois Black Panther Party, who is kind of just really like seen as this young, promising, a lot of energy for for the movement, and so. Um, it, it, that one was, was really well told. That, that's one of the, the nominees. Um, Mank is about, uh, Citizen Kane, which, which a lot of people say is like one of the greatest movies ever made. I had seen it a few years ago. I actually, in watching Mank, I, I went back and, and watched a little bit of Citizen Kane to refresh myself. I would recommend anyone who wanted to watch it to probably watch both of them together, especially if you've not, never seen Citizen Kane, um, which, which is I, we were able to stream it. I think it was on HBO Max, maybe, um, yeah. for anyone that yeah. wanted to stream Citizen Kane as well. I think Mink is maybe Netflix. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, a lot of these, if, if you have various streaming services, are, are available now for free. But Mink is the story of the person who wrote Citizen Kane. And so it's very mm-hmm. much a period piece and, um, and also kind of interesting how, how they weave in some of the details. Um, I think the, the best two... Um, are uh, Nomadland, I think, is probably going to win Best Picture. Uh, it is, um, Frances McDormand uh, is the star of that, and, and she should win Best Actress for her role. She is so powerful. It's, she is someone who, um, I'm trying to think of what the right term, I know like uh, Van, you know, like, uh, Van life, van living is, is kind of been been one of the things I talked about. Basically, having to move around for different jobs or so temporary jobs, and and it kind of hit you know during the um the height of the economic collapse of mm-hmm. what the the early twenty tens, um but but moving around the country you know from one job to another, and then this job uh, she had worked for a factory in Las Vegas, and, and the whole factory had closed, so the whole town basically uh, like trying to think four or 5,000 people was all kind of built around the factory and became a ghost town after it closed. And then she just um, kind of moves around the country for various jobs, you know, works at like some Amazon, you know, temporary like Christmas, uh, you know, work and and so forth. Mm -hmm. But 
it, it's this just powerful slice of, of American life um, and, and a part of American life that isn't very well covered. Uh, it's really well told, uh, really well shot. Uh, I think it's, it's probably the best one to win Best Picture. And she is so powerful in that role. Uh, I know she is, has it, won Best Actress before, but I, I would think she's the favorite. But I'm sorry. Sh- no, that's fine. She so Frances McDormand. She won for Fargo, didn't she? Did she win? Uh, yeah, she win? I think she won. I know that's one of her best roles. And then she also won a couple years ago for um, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, uh, okay, she gotcha. Was great in gotcha. that too. Nomadland is it like a faux documentary style? Like it, like in yeah, the way, kind of, kind of. Yeah, not. I mean, not as heavy handed. Not like, not like The Office, where right. like you know you can like. Tell they're shooting a documentary, but but yeah, it, it is that kind of a feel. It it, it okay. feels like it's kind of a re- slice of real life. Yeah, I watched the trailer because I was just kind of looking. I guess I was, you know, there's a feed of like the Oscar nominees or whatever, and and so I thought it was a documentary at first, and I was like, oh, this isn't this isn't what I expected. But yeah, okay, so it is it is fiction. It's not yeah, and because yeah, at that, first I was right. like, oh, is this actually Francis McDormand like? like traveling around to these places. I mean, that's literally how I thought it was, you know? Yeah. Got you. No, it is, it is fiction. Um, okay. but, and I think part of what I liked about it so much, I mean, I tend to like nonfiction, um, you know, even in books and movies and so forth. So though it is fiction, it's, it's very much, um, you know, kind of a realistic picture of, yeah. Yeah. Of this. Okay. So it's it, so one of those think- that helps you understand this slice of Americana better. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. So. Okay. So. Nomadland, you think is going to win? You think that's? The, I. That's I, the I one? think so. I. I just. I think it's powerful enough. Now, the one I have not seen, um, that that I know you actually have seen is Minari. Um, yeah. And I've heard. I've heard good things about it. Although I had a friend who just watched it, and he said, who had also seen a lot of the um the best picture, and he thought it wasn't quite at that level, but. That would be the wild card that I don't know as much about, but yeah, yeah. Tell me about so it, I, uh, I watched it. I heard a review about it, um, and I think it's pronounced Minari. Uh, okay, okay. It's, uh, it's it's the Korean huh. word. Yeah, and I can't remember. I can't remember what what it means. It means like friendship or something. Time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's Minari, and it's. Uh, I think it means like friendship or something. I can't remember. It's in the hmm. movie, um, but it's okay. basically it, speaking of a slice of Americana, like American yeah. culture that we don't see. So it's a, a Korean um, immigrant who had been in California, and so he's a, a man who's got a family, uh, two kids, and his wife, and they moved to rural Arkansas uh, because he's they in California. They're working in a chicken plant, basically. Um, sexing chickens, which is basically you just you basically just sort the chickens based on their sex, uh, mm-hmm. and it's just, just wow. manual labor job, very yeah. uh, very basic, but a needed a needed service. So anyway, to make a better life, uh, I guess I guess they go in like the eighties. I think um, uh, it's set in the eighties, and so he goes takes picks up his family. They move to rural Arkansas to to farm. Um, and so, um, so it's really this interesting portrait. I just, I love movies that are set in the South, um, Mm -hmm. and, and that are shot on location in the South. You can kind of tell it's like, oh yeah, this looks like the Arkansas Delta. This sounds like the Arkansas Delta. It almost smells like the Arkansas Delta. Like you can, you can really put yourself in that place, uh, and, and be with these people. And so I just, I loved it. I mean, so it was right up my alley. You know, as yeah. far as things that I that I enjoy, I just thought it was well, uh, and it was is interesting. I think it won the Golden Globe for best foreign language feature, but then it wasn't in the best picture category, and there was like some drama about that. Yeah. Like, wait a second, this isn't a foreign language. This isn't a foreign film. Just, it's an it's right. A, it's an American filmmaker. Is it Korean Korean American? Um, and they and. And they kind of mix in. They go in and out of Korean and English. The kids are speaking English, but the parents are speaking Korean. Um, so I, I thought it was excellent. And so I, yeah, I wouldn't be good. surprised if it if if yeah. it's got a shot, you know. Um, yeah. But and yeah, just me saying that's who I would if I had to pick that that's who I would think would win. Um, sure. No, I've heard great. That doesn't mean I'm right. <laughs> I've been wrong yeah. before, so I yeah, realized I no. should have couched that. And actually, my favorite one we hadn't talked about is um, Sound of Metal. Uh, and oh, yeah, I would, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love to see that one too. That that's an awesome movie. And in um, 
I'm going to pull it up to make sure I pronounce the right. Riz, Riz Ahmad Ahmed, uh, who, who is the, the star of that movie, um, ought to win Best Actor. I know uh, mm-hmm. Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman, uh, who's in yeah. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, I know also has a lot of buzz as far as maybe winning it posthumously. And, and he is obviously a great actor. I mean, it would be a cool story, him winning it posthumously. And, and he did a great job. I'm talking about Chadwick Boseman. Um, the emotion he showed, even just through his facial expressions in that movie, a lot of times was awesome. But mm. but Riz Ahmad in Sound of Metal is just, to me, an amazing acting performance that I, I think ought to win it. He plays a, a, a basically heavy metal drummer um, who loses his hearing. And, mm. you know, so he's he's portraying someone going through hearing loss. Um, and the mm. way he does that is awesome. And, and so it's kind of a different story, a refreshing story. But what I loved about it so much is um, it, it deals with the issue of addiction, um, which is um, obviously such a strong issue today and in, 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 in culture and that, that so many people and families struggle with and, and it's such a powerful thing. But but the way he is dealing with um, addictions he has had while losing his hearing, which also connects to um, losing his um, his profession um, and going through that struggle, it, it feels very real. Um, but the, the way he goes through it, um, it is, it is powerful. Like, I don't want to, yeah, kind of, you know, get into yeah. it with spoilers and everything, but it, it, it's, it's a good story, um, and, and powerful and, and, and he acts it so well. And, and I just, that one really stood out to me. It's a key for keeper. That's what you're saying. It's a key for keeper. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta start a list. Key for keeper, Nomadland, Sound of Metal. I need to watch these. You got me fired up to watch both of these now. I would, I would, I would say watch Meanery too when when it, yeah. when it becomes more widely widely available. Yeah, the only really reason good. we have yeah. it now is uh, it's like you can you can rent it now. It's like twenty dollars to rent, not even yeah. own. So we're yeah. like, we're gonna wait a little bit for it to go down, but it's available. The one other I'll just talk quickly about. Actually, my wife's favorite one um, that's also up there is Trial of the, Ch- of the Chicago Seven. And it's mm-hmm. Aaron Sorkin um, yeah. who wrote it. And we're big Aaron Sorkin fans. We love The West Wing. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that. It was a mm-hmm. great series. Mm-hmm. But um, it was good. The writing is really good. Um, Sasha, uh, Sasha, was it Sasha Baron? Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen, Cohen. Baron. Um, yeah. Anyway, he, he, his, that's probably one of his best acting roles in it. Um, and it's, it's, it's good. It, it kind of... It gets in the obviously a historical event, and you learn a lot from it. I thought it was really good. I just didn't think it had the same. I don't know what you call it, the it factor, or just that depth or or artistry of some of the others, as far as what would be best picture. But um, it it, I, it was enjoyable, and and that was her favorite of them as well. So so there's well, you know, a, I thought, I thought a, a lot of good. It's a it's a Deanna. I'm trying to alliterate. We'll think Deanna of something Keeper. for Deanna's. Deanna Keeper, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of uh, 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 a Deanna Dandy. It's a Deanna Dandy. Uh, so we want to, uh, yeah. There so we'll just we'll just we'll just keep a running list of movies that we should watch. But uh, yeah, yeah, so that'll be uh, that'll be fun to, to try to catch some of those those films. And again, we're always looking to, um, you know, truth is 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 shown through art, and um, you know, mm-hmm. films definitely uh, provide that. So. Uh, let's jump into uh, Soul Food now. I wanted to, to point y'all toward uh, another podcast of two people that are far more um, uh, erudite uh, <laughs> uh, in, in, in portraying their uh, their positions than I am. Uh, I don't want to like you know turn you away from this podcast, but I'll point you to another one uh, that's that's Room really excellent. Both. So the uh, have you heard of Jordan Peterson, Chris? No, I haven't. Okay. Yeah. So Jordan Peterson is a, is a psychologist, um, who, uh, taught at the, so actually a student at Mississippi state was telling me this last night, cause he's a big Jordan Peterson listener. And, um, I don't know the full story, so forgive me. He is much more popular than me, you know? And so I, I know, that, I know that much <laughs> and that's great. Like he, he's a great voice, I think, uh, for, a, for this generation, uh, probably the generation younger than us. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, he's a, 
an older man and uh, was a, mm. a psychology professor at the University of Toronto. Um, lost that position. I'm not. That, that's what the student at state told me. Um, but has become, and, and I say lost, and maybe, maybe he retired. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyway, sure. he's now a full time speaker and podcaster. I mean, speaks to huge, huge crowds, huge crowds mm. across the across the world. Um, he was actually talking in this recent podcast about a speaking tour that he did where he went to like 100 different locations in, in a year and was speaking to crowds of three to 10,000 people. So, I mean, very, you know, popular. Um, but basically he is trying to seek the truth. I mean, I mean, from everything. And I remember seminarians when I was in seminary would listen to him and I'd be like, well, is he Catholic or is he Christian? And they're like, well, not really, but he, he, he's just speaking. He's, he's seeking you know, sure. he's seeking truth wherever it is found. And he's and he's brilliant, you know, in, in the way that he kind of uh, um, breaks down culture and, and is really speaking to where we are in the culture. So anyway, hmm. this very uh, so he has a podcast, the Jordan Peterson podcast. Uh, and this week he had on Bishop Robert Barron. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so it's a two hour long podcast. Uh, it was really, really good. Uh, and kind of the stuff that I like to listen to and learn from, uh, and riff off of, you know, like, oh man, they're talking about, um, why are young people leaving the church basically? And Jordan Peterson is kind of, kind of, uh, peppering Baron with these questions of like, well, what, what, what do you see as happening? Like he presents his case, you know, a couple of reasons that he Mm -hmm. thinks that young people are are leaving the church. The one that I thought that, that was most interesting, he said, I think that, um, young people today, what, what he's experienced is young people today want to be challenged, um, the challenge to be something greater than what the culture is kind of allowing them to, to, to think yeah. like in our culture, it's all about like, how can we make this as accessible as possible? The church, the church needs to be more accessible. The church needs to be easier to kind of like ingratiate yourself into. And he says like, no, I think young people want to be challenged. They want to know like the fullness of what you believe and have that presented to them, even if they disagree with it. Um, so that was interesting. Um, yeah. But um, I don't know. It was just a really, it was a really good, um, I think, window into a challenging conversation between a non-Catholic, perhaps even a non-Christian. Again, I don't know where Jordan Peterson's faith is. And one of the most... Um, you know, well-heard voices on the Catholic, in the Catholic world, Bishop Barron. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought it was, the best thing I thought was that these are two men who don't agree on everything, but had a rational conversation. And that was the, that was the best part. And I know yeah. you appreciate that too. Yeah. The, the, those are always the best. I, I know we've talked in various contexts. I, I feel that that doesn't happen enough today. You know, everyone just kind of really wants to be in an echo chamber of, you know, just hearing um, uh, validation of the people who agree with them. And, um, yeah, I think the most powerful is when you can have those deep conversations that, that push you to, to see things differently and, and to learn. And, and, and Bishop Barron is so good at that and being in those appearances. I know he often will go on um, podcasts. I remember, I can't remember who it was. I, I just remember him kind of advertising it. There was like um, a, an atheist. Uh, that he went on his podcast, you know, to kind of give the other side a couple of years back and, and so forth. So th- those conversations, I think, are awesome, like you said. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it can be scary to um, to talk to somebody that with whom you, you disagree on a fundamental level. But I think the more you practice it, uh, and so I would just encourage everybody to, to, to practice that, you know, and, and to not be afraid. Um, and so, um, so anyway, and one of the topics that Peterson brought up right at the beginning, and I think this is for uncomfortable Wednesdays, I think this is an uncomfortable topic perhaps for some, and maybe something you haven't even thought about. How do, how do we interpret the scriptures? Um, do we take the Bible literally? Um, because that's certainly what Peterson was saying is in a, in a, world where the scientific process is so exalted as like the one source of truth how do we square the book of genesis that says the the earth you know that could say that do we believe that you know the earth is what six thousand 
years old. You know, or human history is mm-hmm. 6,000 mm-hmm. years old. Uh, you know, so how do we, um, and how do we teach that as the church? And so I guess I wanted this to be a space where I just do some teaching um, about how we do understand. We do believe the scripture is inerrant. It is the breathed word of God. Um, but does that mean that it is historically verifiable and accurate at all times? Um, and uh, so I just wanted to jump into that um, for uncomfortable Wednesdays. And I guess first I wanted to just yeah. get your take, Chris, of, of how you read scripture, how you've understood scripture um, and what questions you might have. Yeah, I know, you know, when we talked about it yesterday, um, I mean, it's a very good topic and it's a good one to discuss it. And I kind of look forward to, to hearing your, your, your teaching on a lot of it. Um, I know, um, I guess Genesis, you know, we were saying before is probably the one that, that, that is the, the hardest, um, when you yes. look at, at actual historicity, um, and the way I've always been taught on that is that in a lot of those cases, um, it, it is as much about um, the deeper truth that's being conveyed and um, you know, not as much about the details of the actual story. And of course, that is not necessarily the case with all the books of the Bible, um, but, but particularly with Genesis, um, you know, it's more about looking at those deeper truths. Um, right. And so would that and, be correct? And- yeah, so so I'm just going straight from the catechism here. So uh, catechism, paragraph 107. Uh, the inspired books, talking about the scriptures, teach the truth. Okay, so, so the, the church is saying the Bible is true. Um, and then it, we quote, um, so a lot of this is coming from De Verbum, which means the word of God. It's a document from the Second Vatican Council. It's one of the four constitutions of the, Se- of the Second Vatican Council. Um, but it's, of course, an outgrowth of, of you know, 2,000 years of thinking about the scriptures and, and pondering the scriptures. And this is mm-hmm. not new. I guess that's what I want you to hear. This is not like we made this up in the 60s because of scientific discoveries. Augustine was thinking about these things in the in the 300s, the 400s. Aquinas was thinking about Aquinas, these things. Yeah, right. Um, so um, in the Middle Ages. Um, so this is from Dave Airboom. Since all the inspired authors or sacred writers, uh, all that they affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the Holy Spirit, we must acknowledge that the books of the Scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error— teach that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, wished to see confided to the sacred scriptures. All right, what does that mean? So the Bible teaches without error the truth that God wants to confide to us for the sake of our salvation. Does that mean then that we take Genesis as historically as a, as a history book. I don't think that that's what that statement is saying. And the, and the church mm-hmm. would say that as well, that there is a, just like we said with, with film or with literature, uh, this is right. what Baron brought up to Jordan Peterson. Does Hamlet say something true about the human person in like a really, really deep, rich way without it having to be a historically verifiable event that this is the way it happened? No. And so right. there is the, the easiest way that I couch it for something like the creation story. Um, mm-hmm. So the first two chapters of Genesis. Um, is it possible that this is a genre of literature that is still the full inerrant truth about how God creates, that God creates, um, that man is at the forefront of God's creation, that man is um, loved in a special way by God, created in the image and the likeness of God, and yet it is a specific genre of literature that even, what's interesting about gen- about the creation story in general is that there are other, uh, in, in this time frame where we believe that, you know, uh, just critically you look at the way um, – 
the, the time period that this was written, there are other stories like this that are kind of sequentially going through, like this is how the world was created. And actually it was like this battle between the gods and they're, um, you know, they're throwing, you know, I forget, mm-hmm. but it's like fireballs at each other and, and the world right. explodes into existence or whatever. And so the, so could it be that the inspired author of scripture is taking the context, the cultural context in which he or she is living and says, okay, that's wrong headed. Actually, I have the truth about who God actually is. God is not many. God Mm -hmm. is one man is not some kind of accidental, you know, random occurrence or whatever, whatever these other, these myths were saying, no man is a specific creation by God to share his creative power, um, to, to do all these things. And so, so it's just funny that I think we, we get frustrated sometimes or we want this, well, it's, no, it's either literal or it's not. And it's like, no, we take the scriptures literally and taking the scriptures literally means we do the work of what is the author's intention here? Is the author intending to write a history? In some cases he is, Mm -hmm, you know, there's the mm -hmm. book of, (laughs) there's the book of Chronicles, right? Chronicling, the 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 activity of the nation of Israel. So right. okay, kings, that's yeah. Right, kings. That's that's very specific. Um but something like Genesis, it's like, no, we're taking it literally. Um but we that doesn't mean we have to say we have to like figure out why dinosaur bones are down there when there's no dinosaurs in the Bible. Like that's that's not what Genesis is seeking to do. Uh, in that case, does that make sense? What what am yeah. I missing in? Yeah, no, I think it, it absolutely makes sense, and I, I think I think the other thing that's important um, is, is re- reading the entire story at, at some time in your life. I, I think that you know, so many people will only hear you know bits and pieces and fragments, and I, I think that there's some depth. Um, Deanna is actually doing the um, Father Mike Schmidt's Bible in a Year podcast. Um, yeah. right and I know a lot of people yeah. do that. It's great. I, I did um, a few years back. It was kind of the same thing. It, it dawned on me that I had, you know, not, I, actually, I guess say a few years. It's actually, I guess, started back when I was in college, so, which is now further away. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now I, know. I want to admit. But, <laughs> I feel um, your pain. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, gosh. And, and, I, and before I say that, I mean, I think what a lot of, while Catholics get grief for not having, um, you know, fully delved into the Bible, I think what a lot of people don't realize is it's, if you take the cycle, the three-year cycle of readings, including the readings for the for daily Mass, um, you know, it, it's being broken up in that way. But but I think there's value in, I actually, and I didn't do it in a year because I would just read like a chapter or, or two a day. Uh, so it took yeah. me a couple years. But starting, you know, starting Genesis 1 and going through the end of Revelation, um, and I think, but I think from reading the whole thing, it, it gives you a whole new context of how everything fits together in, um, and, and there are so many like powerful, uh, like, like the old Testament is just so rich with, um, uh, prophecy foreshadowing of, of the savior and so many little details, I think is just so powerful too, um, besides putting things mm-hmm. in context. But like it was, it was only a couple years ago. A, a small group we did in um, in Tupelo, uh, we read this book um, called Bible Basics for Catholics. And I'll, I'll give a shout out to my good friend Jared, who's one of the smartest Catholics I know. And I actually texted him at seven this morning to remember the the title of the book, and he got <laughs> right back to me on it. He was the one who recommended it. But you know, it, it it had gone through the different Bible stories. And for instance, um, I had never seen this until this book. Um, and it was only, like I said, three or four years ago, but looking at the story of, um, of Abraham and Isaac and Isaac carrying his own wood up to, uh, that, you know, where, where Abraham was prepared, prepared to sacrifice his only son and the foreshadowing of Christ and that carrying his own wood for the father prepared to sacrifice his only son. And, you know, there's so much of that, that I think, um, you almost have to read, read the whole book, you know, in, in some sense to get the context, but also 
you know, that also goes to show where a lot of it is intent and teaching deeper truths and so forth too. Right, right. And so, so it's this, it's this admixture, you know, it's, it's, uh, understanding that, um, the the scriptures are inspired in such a way that you're constantly plumbing the depths of like what what is this larger picture what is this and that that's such a beautiful uh analogy um yeah. you know that that and and God provides the lamb and I think I I preached about that yeah. a few few and I used that term yeah, that, that phrase God provides the lamb that in the fullest sense, Jesus Christ is the Lamb. So we get so bogged down in our in our world because we're so scientifically minded, and we're taught that the scientific method is the only source of truth. You know, unless it is empirically verifiable, um, we we have huge questions. Um, mm-hmm. But we're missing just the the incredible depth and richness and so it's this it, the catholic church is always kind of in this tension it's like yeah i don't the church has not said categorically you must uh you know kind of uh understand evolution in this way you must understand right um really we believe that uh you know pius uh, gosh i'm going to get this wrong um pius the 12th i hope it's pius the 12th it might be pius the 11th one of the Pisces says, right, <laughs> uh, said that 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 there's a, a that there's a initial couple, you know, like that's that's the truth of that 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 man kind of springs forth from. Uh, there's this there's this jump, there's this evolutionary jump that even like uh, evolutionary biologists are talking about, like what like what is that jump between um, non. Uh, like the, the like insolment like when when did man become insold i think that's a really fascinating yeah. question of yeah what when was that jump that evolutionary jump if if you know i think evolutionary uh, evolution is a very you know uh sensical uh theory you know and we're always learning more but like right. still how did that happen and if you if you pair the genesis with that it's like yeah okay who like at some point God creates man. God creates a soul in a Homo sapien, you know, and if that's the right term, I don't even know mm-hmm. scientifically, mm-hmm. but um, like that's but that's a whole different conversation, uh, and that and that is for evolutionary biologists to like delve into and, and understand. But for us as the faithful, like all we need is this is the nature of creation. This right. is, um, and that's what that first part of Genesis teaches us, and that's what the Old Testament teaches us, that it is this ongoing story. And um, so let me just t- point y'all toward, again, if, you're, if you get asked, do y'all take the Bible literally? This is what the church says the literal sense of the scripture is. Okay, so this is uh, uh, paragraph 116. The literal sense is the meaning conveyed by the words of scripture and discovered by exegesis. Exegesis just means interpretation, like understanding genre, the cultural context, all of these different things, researching that. All other senses of sacred scripture are based on the literal. So just remember that taking the Bible literally does not mean a fundamentalist view of the Bible. Mm -hmm. It does not mean... The, I must believe that the world was created in seven 24-hour periods. I must believe that, um, that uh, I don't know, uh, another, I'm trying to think of another example. It means that I am that using Methuselah my... That was 600 years old or 900 right, years right, old that, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, that, that someone lived 800 years. Days. Yeah. Right. Um, so all these different things. So some and some of these are open questions too the church doesn't say you have to believe this about um you know the creation the creation story you have to believe this a lot of these things are still just we're still discovering god still wants to speak but what we believe about the scriptures is god is constantly teaching his church through this text and and this text is properly interpreted through the ages 
by the magisterial authority of the church, by the teaching authority of the church. So you think about how even the, the books of the Bible were compiled. Well, it was by the magisterium of the church, by the, the successors of the apostles, who we believe are spirit-led. And so even the order of the books, even the, the types of books that are there, we believe that the Holy Spirit is informing that. And so we can have confidence in that we're not going to be led astray. We're going to be led deeper and deeper into um, the real truth that is that is expressed in these words. Um, and by the way, that also doesn't mean that everything in the Bible that happens is right and just, right? Mm, I mean, there's right, right. terrible atrocities that are committed by the people of Israel, by those that are professing faith in God, all these different things. So, yeah, we don't. We're not saying that that these characters are. And actually, Bishop Barron talks about this. It's interesting that we're in a in cultures where the leaders were deified in many ways. You think about Caesar, um, you know, being like like literally sought seen as a god. Think about the 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 leaders in the Old Testament. You know, a lot of them are a mess. David yeah. and it, and it's and it's just laid out there for you to see. Like David's an adulterer and a murderer. Um, and yet, mm-hmm. we can understand like the true nature of kingship through his lens, and the people of Israel have seen that. Um, so, okay, I'm I'm going, I'm going off the rails here. What what are you hearing? What are you reacting to? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the difficult things is even how do you read and how do you take the Old Testament? Um, because, like you mentioned, the flaws of a lot of characters. I mean, you got. Um, polygamy, you know, is particularly early on, um, you know, with, with people having multiple wives, but then when you take the, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the law, um, in Deuteronomy and Exodus, and, and I understand that, um, you know, the new covenant in Christ and, and a lot of it passes away, but does all, because, you know, as you read through it, I mean, there is a lot of problematic things to, pro, uh, problematic is, is the right word, but I mean, there's a lot of things yeah. that yeah. like, wow, I mean, one is that, you know, we're not doing between foods we're eating or, or using, wearing clothing made from the cloth of two different animals. And, and, um, and obviously it's a very, uh, male dominated, you know, some of the stuff that, uh, Deanna was just, you know, going through it with the father Mike podcast. And some of it is, mm-hmm. is uh, is not very, um, friendly towards, uh, towards women, you know, a lot of those. Yeah. So, so a lot of that passed away, right? But does, I mean, is there, what value is there in that? And and I have always wondered, as is a two-part question, when you read all the laws of Deuteronomy and Exodus and Numbers in, in the Old Testament, um, to me, the Ten Commandments are just there with everything else. And I that made me wonder, like, why are the Ten Commandments... Um, given more prominence than, than some of that other stuff. So I, I guess I'm both asking that huh. and, and, and how, how do you weigh um, all that stuff from the Old Testament um, if, yeah, if that's the an, new covenant I, makes it possible? Right, if the new, uh, yeah, if the new, the new covenant fulfills all these things, and so why, yeah, what, what, what is, is the, the nature? Yeah, and so um, I, I love to think about, and I've talked about this on this podcast a lot, but I think it's almost like you have to hear it again and again and again for it to take root the pedagogy of God, that mm-hmm. God is teaching us through human history. He is walking. So he walks with this specific people, Israel, and this specific people, Israel, is dealing with all of the cultural factors that are happening in the ancient Near East, right? So like all of the you know polygamous relationships, male-dominated culture, all these different mm-hmm. things. God is God is entering into history. Mm-hmm. And he knows the nature of the human person better than we do. He knows our the the truth about who we are. So we know a piece of the truth about who we are. We know the the piece of um you know what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman, what it is to be in a family, what it is to be in a culture, what it is to have leaders. God knows the fullness of that. So God is walking with Israel through all of these things. So they have all these ritual laws that are seeking to basically purify their intention, purify their will, purify their relationships, purify all these different things. 
The Ten Commandments are so powerful because they're given to Moses by God himself, right? Like on, like on the mountain, mm-hmm. Moses, Moses has such a close encounter with God that his face is like glowing, uh, basically, yeah. you know, when he comes back down from the mountain. Um, and these are, and again, it's almost like the tradition of the church. Like why does the church exalt, um, you know, certain things about the faith? It's like, well, because we always have. The people sure, of Israel sure. always have, like in practice, have seen this is the core. This is it's the, the law. Scripture plus tradition, I guess, idea. Right. Yeah. So it's scripture plus tradition, even in ancient Israel, mm-hmm. as they walk through. But I guess I would just say with the ritual laws and all those things, if God is teaching his people, can it be that even if these things now, in the light of what we know about the human person and, and basic rights, all these different things, God teaching Israel first, slowly and painfully, trying mm-hmm. to get us to understand our own brokenness, trying to get us to understand that, um, and that's the other thing too, like with sin, we deserve death. You know, that seems like a very like... Um, puritanical kind of concept that yeah. that because we are because of that turning away from God like death is our is kind of our destiny mm-hmm. and so the, to to take that really seriously and see that the Lord is trying in mercy to teach us slowly to walk with us slowly to help us understand and then in Christ all these things are fulfilled we understand the true nature of what are those ways in which we um, we come closer to God? Um, and so, so some of those things pass away. Those those very like visceral bodily things that were in the law. It's like no Christ now shows us the fullness of what all that stuff was for. It's all to bring us closer to conformity with the will of the Father. Um, and so, so now that we're in Christ. We, we, we seek after what he teaches most fully. And these, mm-hmm. these Old Testament laws become, they become a window into, I think, to me, it's like the fact that like every part of our life should be about God. And just like we talked about at the beginning, baseball, mm-hmm. that should be about God. We should, we should ritualize that in such a way that well, we begin, you know, you begin with a prayer, you begin, you, you teach fundamental truths about humanity, about loss, about death and resurrection, you know, even, even the death of, of striking out five times at a game and then rising to, to not to, and to have that Christian hope that, um, and to understand everything. So, so Christ is the fulfillment in many ways of, of these ritual laws. And so many of them pass away what we, what we can't eat, what we can't eat, um, what we can wear, what we can't wear, all those different things. Um, those things become mm-hmm. less important because in God's teaching, we've moved past it. As God continues mm-hmm. to teach us, we're now to the, you know, we were in the 101, the 201, the 301. Now we're in the 401, you know, and now we're about to graduate. And, uh, and Christ is our good teacher. And maybe it's still important to, to read and to know what those laws were because it makes the mercy of God seem that much deeper and more powerful and, and, and maybe it gives you such a deep appreciation for the new covenant, I guess, knowing what the old covenant was. Yeah, and it and again it's it's every part of their life was yeah. was geared toward how is this how is this ordering me toward the Lord, you know, and that's mm-hmm. um that's a good lesson to, to learn. Um, yeah. And, um, so yeah, so the scriptures, I I think it's almost like, I I guess my suggestion would just be start, you know, just start read, like read through it and, and see, you know, and when it gets boring, it's boring, you know I mean? It's, it's boring Mm -hmm. to read through all those laws. And, and also, I mean, they're dealing with, um, some of it is societal, you know I mean? You think about the way they dealt with people with, uh, you know, terrible diseases like leprosy. I mean, yeah, part of that yeah. is, is, is survival. You know, it's like, how do we deal with, you know, they have to be outside the camp because we can't have this, 
you know, we, we don't really understand how it's spread, but we're trying to. So, again, does that mean that? Sounds like COVID um, early days. No, exactly. It's like COVID. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I think people expect that, oh, well, they were doing that, you know, for some sort of like uh, theological reason. No, well, probably not. <laughs> you yeah. know, they were just yeah. trying to live their life. And, and uh, so, but again, that's what the church is saying. The literal sense is you're soundly just trying to follow like academically uh, to an extent, but it has to come to the spiritual level as well. That what, what can, if this is inspired, I can say, okay, they probably did that um, because of like the biological reality of disease. And yet spiritually, how can I go into that and say, like, Lord, how, how, in, how in many ways um, do I feel like separated from you by something that's happening in my life? Or, so that's the way the scriptures, again, we believe that they are inspired. It doesn't mean we have to read them in ignorance of, of reality and, and academic reality and biological reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's a but it's a longer conversation that I think uh, the church is. That's what I want people to hear too. The church is open to these conversations. Yeah, we're not this static kind of rigid. Um, you must believe this about you know. We believe that the gospels are the gospels and that they actually happened, but that's because that's a specific genre. That, that there's a clear intention by the author to say, this is historically verifiable, this happened. Right, right, you right. Know? You know, but there's right. other books where that is not as um, clear, and so form criticism becomes a, a big uh, kind of academic pursuit in the church that what is the, what is the intention of the author? What is, um, um, you know, what are they trying to convey? What truth are they, how are they trying to convey the truth of who God is and who we are. Yeah, I appreciate the room for nuance, too. Uh, and I know we've talked about that in different contexts. I mean, I guess when you've got a, ch- a church that's over 2,000 years old and in, in the wisdom that, that it's all built upon. But, you know, I, I went back, you know, to um, to talk about kind of college days. And for me, that was growing up in, in New Orleans and going to Catholic schools. I mean, that was the first time, you know, going to Ole Miss, there was a very evangelical bent. And so it was just the first time for me being exposed in a lot of ways to different theologies and, and teachings and so forth. Um, but I, I felt like, you know, as we, as there would be those debates about evolution um, that I had never really thought much about, bef- you know, before that time, but that the, the, the Catholic Church, you kind of leaves room for, you know, deeper thought. It's not just a necessarily an either or um, and so yes. forth. I, I think um, I, I just I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, this is a, a really fascinating topic. And I guess I, I would just say from my perspective, like I'm trying to learn more, you know, and I think that's what we're so afraid to do. We're so afraid to just be like, oh, I just need to like, understand this better, be able to explain this better. And that's what Jordan mm-hmm. Peterson said too. He said, I think that people are attracted by people that know their subject and they're passionate about their subject. And I think as priests, mm-hmm. as a priest, that's a real challenge to me. Do I know my subject? Am I passionate about it? Cause that's attractive to people. And that's what we need more of in the church. And, um, you know, and, and I don't know if, uh, and that's, that's maybe a conversation for another day. Cause I know we're, mm-hmm. we're up against it. Um, but, um, but anyway, I hope that this has been just a, a good kind of starter course in like, um, you know, let's start thinking about the scriptures as they truly are. And maybe not as like, you know, we, we think they are, Mm-hmm. Um, especially as they're, they're kind of interpreted by the church and, um, and what they are used for, which is to lead us to a deeper relationship with the Lord and a deeper understanding of how he walks with us. Um, and, um, and I, we get lost in the weeds. They're important weeds, but, uh, but sometimes we, we just get kind of obsessed with, you know, w- what is true and what is not. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, or, or in like the the kind of um, non spiritual debates surrounding the scriptures, when 
you know, are we really re- reading the scriptures? Are we are we understanding like, wow, this can bring me deeper into relationship with the Lord? Yeah. And I don't have to have you know direct answers to all these questions right now, um, you know. And I think that's uh, you know something to to keep in mind. So. Anyway, Chris, we've gone we've gone uh, over an hour, which is is a record, I think. And I know you you've got a you've got things to do, man. So I really appreciate your time today, and I enjoyed oh, uh, as, as always the conversation. I've enjoyed it as well. Great to talk to you. Uh, great to talk to all of you. Uh, please keep us in your prayers. Please tell your friends about this podcast, the Discerning Catholic Podcast. You can subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, um, and uh, please spread the word about uh about this this show so i hope you all enjoyed it today and we'll see you on uh sunday for another homily god bless y'all